what you should be seeing on the screen is, uh, it says this week. Do you all see a screen that says that there at Central Kitsap? You do or you don't? You don't see it? No, you gotta share your screen. I did that. There. All right, we're trying it now. Did it work? There you go. Now, clear. All right, so let's try it now. We'll try it one more time. You got it now? All right. All right. Can you see it this week? All right, sorry about that glitch, but there may be more, just giving you a heads up. Last week you saw this and it looked, it said next week. Well, this is this week. We're in Montana, you figure that part out, and we're in the Mendez home, and uh, we get to have church from many miles apart together, so I'm really glad that we get to share this experience together. We're opening up the Gospel of John for the first time in the expository series, so John 1, 1 to 18. I'll try to make this as painless and quick as possible because we're, we've got uh, things to do after this, but I also want to be uh, thorough in opening up my favorite gospel, the Gospel of John. So the, I, the title of the message is The Concept, It Was Always About Jesus. Do you see the next slide? hope so. Uh, we talked about this last week. Good. We're seeing the perspective from John. I will look a little bit in Matthew this morning as well from one of the synoptics, but I want to start with John 1, 1. You can read the part in white easily. In the beginning. The reason why I wanted to start with that is because that's significant. When you talk to somebody uh, that has a, a particular brand or business and somebody says, well, I started that, or somebody says, well, I know the person that started that, that's a big deal because it's the beginning of something. And it, it becomes so huge that you get to meet somebody that started something big. Well, get this. This is the beginning of everything. In the beginning. And this is God's word. It's the authority on the subject of all things. And so in the beginning, that implies since there's a beginning, there would be something that might continue. And we're, since we're talking about all things, there also is a potential of an end. May I suggest to you, when you talk about the beginning of something, it's not as important to talk about your beginning, especially as it is how you finish. Starting off well, well, that, that's, that's good. I think of people like arrogant people. I even have a particular hero that was a hero of my youth, Muhammad Ali. Cassius Clay changed his name, followed a god of a cult, and began seemingly and practically um, all of the visual stuff that we saw. He actually worshipped himself, or at least he portrayed that image of how great he was. I am the greatest, he always said. And he started off quite well as Muhammad Ali, the boxer, but it, he didn't end very well. In the end, you saw what was a very frail resemblance of the shell of the man that once was, who had so much brain damage that he really couldn't keep a normal conversation. And Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, he didn't really end well. Began well didn't end well. 
And how you finish is very important. And this concept of in the beginning, it's just talking about the start of all things, but he wants us to understand something because he is more concerned with how we finish. In the beginning was the Word. Let's talk about that particular word, Word. The Greek word you see come up is logos. That's how you say it in the English right there. And it actually means the concept or idea. Maybe some of you are Star Trek fans. I'm sorry. But if you're Star Trek fans, you might remember from the old television series, Captain's Log. The idea of logos, that's where we get this, the, the, the concept of writing things down because you're, you're documenting. Think about it. You can't really talk about anything or communicate anything in any way unless words are connected to it. Concepts are communicated through words. Ideas are communicated through words. And so from the very beginning, the creation of the world, there was the word. I'll give you a heads up. We learn as we read further in John 1.1 1, 1, that the word is actually talking about Jesus. That's why it's capitalized, you see there. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, but it's deeper than that. From the very beginning, Jesus was the concept or idea. From the very beginning of the world, God knew that we could never be good enough and that there would be nothing on this earth that would ever satisfy or fulfill. Nothing that we search for is going to make us feel complete. We would need something else. We would need a Savior. And that Savior would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't get the Savior without the Lord. And we've talked about that and we'll talk about it more as the weeks unfold. But in the beginning was the Word. Jesus was there from the very beginning. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now there I was as a college student. I was heading into my junior year that summer when I was renting a room with a widow lady she was not home, and the Mormons came knocking at the door. And maybe you're like many people. When the Mormons come knocking at the door, what do you do? You hide, and you don't answer the door. <laughs> but I didn't do that. I answered the door, and it was a Mormon lady with her child, and she was wanting to sell me the Mormon propaganda. And I said to her, no, thank you. I'm a Christian. I know Jesus personally as my Lord and Savior, and I don't need uh, the Mormon uh, religion. And she proceeded to tell me that that's good, that I believed in the Bible, but I did not have the complete scriptures. And I said, oh, really? Well, uh, Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 says, If anybody comes to you and brings to you another gospel other than the one you accepted, even if an angel does this, let them be eternally condemned. She looked at me like she had never seen that before. And she, then she proceeded to tell me that in John 1, 1, in my Bible, um, it's, or she said in her Bible, it says that, that Jesus was a God. And in my Bible, it's got it wrong because it says he was God. He wasn't God. He's a God. And I said, well, where do you get that idea? She showed me her Bible. And it's, sure enough, it said the word was a God. And I said, but where does that come from? And that doesn't say that in my Bible. She goes, well, in the actual Greek, that is what it says. I said, excuse me just a minute. I said, do you know Greek? And she said, no. I said, excuse me just a minute. So I went back into my little bedroom where I had my college books, and I pulled out a Greek New Testament, 
And I said, hey, I happen to have a Greek Bible right here. And look at this. In the original Greek, there is no a God. And then her son that she was training to be a good Mormon looked at her like, now what do you say, Mom? Jesus is the Word, and He is God. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's a pretty fascinating thing. All things were created through Him. Now, how does that work? Think about it. From the beginning, you remember, of all things, God, as He created things, He spoke them into existence. Let there be. And as He did this, He didn't have to do that. He's God. He could have just said the words and the world would have been created. But instead, He chose to speak them into existence. And we're told in the New Testament, that word is Jesus. The very concept was there from the beginning. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and the concept of Jesus being the Savior and Lord of the world was there from the start. And everything was created to culminate, and everything was created to wind up pointing to Jesus because he was part of all of the creation. Nothing was made without him. Everything was made with him. It's fascinating. Verses 4 and 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I remember the first time I was given the illustration, a very visual one, as I went into a cave where there was no natural light of any kind. All light was gone. They told us all to turn off our flashlights and headlamps, and so we did that. And then the person leading the tour struck a match, and that tiny match lit up the entire cave. Not only could we see each other when the match was lit, but we could see the cave. We could see our surroundings. It was, it was amazing. That small amount of light could not be smothered by the immense darkness, because before he struck that match and we turned all of our flashlights and headlamps off, we could not tell if anything was right in front of our face in that moment. It's fascinating to me that a small amount of light could shine in in an incredible amount of darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome it. And Jesus is no small amount of light. But let's talk about this verse 4 in particular. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The commentator you see here by the name of Albert Barnes, it might be dangerous to post a picture like that these days with us trying to cancel all old white people, especially men of our history. Albert Barnes was actually an abolitionist. That doesn't matter to the crowd of people that want to do that. doesn't matter. He's completely opposed to slavery and thought that there's no way a Christian could engage in it. Nevertheless, Albert Barnes is still demonized, but... He was a great theologian. He actually was tried for heresy. It turns out he's one of the most common, one of the most popular theologians when it comes to commentaries of all time. And he said about this particular verse, the meaning is that he is the source or the fountain of both natural and spiritual life. Of course, he has the attributes of God. Speaking of the word, that is Jesus Let's read further, verse 6 and following. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light 
that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And this jives with the Synoptic Gospels, who also speak of John the Baptist, that people loved, admired. He was treated almost like a celebrity, but he insisted that he was not actually the one that they were waiting on, because it was Jesus, the true light. Reading further with verse 9 and following, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. Now that's fascinating to me, because when you read this, you can see to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, people would say, well, hey, they're saved. This says he gave the right to become children of God. And this idea of being born of him, not physically, but spiritually, is a concept we'll cover as we move further along in the Gospel of John, but it's a deep one. And it is far more than just simply believing. You, at that point, would have the right to become a child of God, to be born into the kingdom. We'll cover that later. Reading further, verses 14 and following, and this is vital. So before I read it, and I know you can see it scrolling, some of you at Christmas time uh, will take a moment and focus on what Christmas is supposed to be about. This year, if God permits, we will get to celebrate Christmas together as a church, which will be really cool. On a Sunday, we will faithfully attend and worship together, and we'll celebrate the birth of Christ. But one of those things that some families do is they'll read Scripture to the family maybe the night before Christmas or the morning of. And if you're going to pick one, one of my favorite passages to read is John chapter 1 all the way from verse 1 to verse 14. And the reason why you would end with verse 14 is because of the power that connects verse 14 all the way to the beginning of John 1.1. I'm going to go ahead and read all the way to verse 18, but you'll see the power in verse 14 along the way. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a good description of Jesus. John bore witness of him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received, listen to this phrase, grace upon grace. That is what Jesus is about. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Understand that the Lord became Lord of all as he was made King of kings and Lord of lords as he was placed at the right hand of God upon his ascension to heaven. These are the verses that we're covering this morning. Very good verses that tell us about the importance of how Jesus was there from the beginning. As we read further in John, we're going to learn more about how we must finish well.
the concept, it was always about Jesus. Now, there are some of us that struggle with life's difficulties, and I want to give you a little bit of insight from Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 and following. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Notice that twice in this very short section we're told, don't be anxious. Being anxious, obviously then, is a choice. This is God who inspired Matthew to document Jesus' words. And we're being told, don't be anxious. Twice here in this short section. There are things in life we have to deal with, things that we physically have to handle. When we're done with this church service, we still got to deal with the bills. We still got to deal with our health issues. We still got to deal with people issues. We got to deal with physical things that sometimes we struggle with in life. Just before we came here to the Mendez home, uh, we we actually uh, discovered that we had a vehicle, uh, an issue with our rental vehicle. And so now it's being worked on. It's a minor thing. But fortunately, Sean was able to come pick us up. Those things we still have to deal with. We still got to go get that vehicle when we're done with our part here today. But we don't have to stress over it. We don't have to choose to be anxious about things. When you focus on something and you dwell on it, then that becomes what you focus and dwell on. Does that not make sense? I'll remind you of these two images here. If the water feels like it's smothering you, making you feel like you're drowning, you feel like the troubles of this life are so problematic, you can't hardly feel like you can breathe. Remember, you're focusing on the surface. Yes, those things are there, but you have, if you'll just look up, as Colossians chapter 3 teaches us, remember that it might seem like a cloudy day. The clouds are the clouds there might be there, but the sun is always out. You just have to look above them. If you can think that way, you won't coddle your problems so much, and you might actually learn not to be anxious, not to stress, and not to become a drama queen for everybody else around you. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, the first part of that verse God was speaking to Jeremiah about his calling, and he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's a vital verse in understanding all of these things that are going around politically today, especially when you talk about things such as abortion. If God knows a child, a human, before it is even born, then that speaks volumes to us about that child inside a mother's womb. Uh, you tell a story sometimes, people get upset about it, but you know it's just a story I tell. When we were living in a house in Missouri, uh, we had a problem with the fireplace. And uh, sure enough, I got up on the roof and I saw, oh, there's a bird's nest up at the top of it. So I got up there and I discovered it was an amazing thing. I did not know that I was going to stumble across this. It was a bald eagle's nest. And when I got all the way to it, the eagle was nowhere that I could see, but there were two eggs in the bald eagle's nest. So to solve the problem, I took a hammer and smashed those eggs, and then I got rid of the nest. I'm, 
I'm I just that's the story. I, I just made it up. It's not a not it didn't really happen. So don't get mad at me. I did not kill any baby baby eagles. I did not smash any eagle eggs or any bird eggs with a hammer. I would not do that. But it upsets people when you think about it. Why do we get so upset about killing baby eagles' eggs and not about babies? Jeremiah said before or God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I want to focus on something other than what I was just talking about. I want to focus on the fact that God knows us before we're born. He has a plan for us. And although we may feel like we don't know why we even exist, we might even ask to God in a, in a very real prayer, why am I here? Some of us that might be listening to this right now might be kids. And you might wonder, why did God have me born? The reality is God knows and he has a plan and it's a much bigger plan than you can imagine. And he desires for you to succeed, especially in succeeding in coming to know him and helping others to come to know him. And that's a New Testament teaching. We're going to learn further as we go in the Gospel of John. We'll learn more about it. But you can read not very far anywhere in the New Testament and learn this. The good news is, no matter what you're going through in life, Jesus has grace upon grace, and that is the truth. From the very beginning, when you were born, before you were born, He knew you. And His concern isn't so much about your beginning, it's about how you finish. Beginning well is one thing, but finishing well, now that's not an easy task. But if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He can help you finish well. He wants you to finish well. And if you have Him at your side to help you along the way, you have a very good chance of succeeding. You see, it was in all of this, even though I'm talking about this and you hear this, and, and I might say to you, you might even read it in a popular book by Rick Warren as it starts with, it's not about you. Well, you know, kind of is, at least part of it. But when it comes down to it, the concept, well, it was always about Jesus. From the very beginning, it was always about Jesus. Now, if you feel like sometimes in the middle of a message like this, or you're reading the scriptures, or you're listening to a message somewhere, or you're reading a book that's pulling you into this world of Christianity, and you feel like, this is speaking to me. This is for me. Yeah, that, that's right. But the concept, well, it was always about Jesus. And, and if you want to figure out your purpose in this life on earth, if you want to figure out how you can help your relationships do better, if you want to figure out how you can navigate through your health troubles, if you want to figure out how you're going to get on the other side of all these financial things, and certainly this world is full of a lot of people who are struggling with just being able to put fuel in their tanks these days. If you want to figure out how we can just get through this stuff and, and how we're going to get to the other side of it, how uh, the concept... It was always about Jesus. He was there from the beginning. And everything that has been made was made through Him. Everything that you know, all things are, they exist because 
It was always about Jesus. And everything is designed to point to him. Romans tells us that men are without excuse because when you look at nature and you just watch it, just look outside, you can see God. You see, it was always about Jesus. And he cares about you. And if you can get that figured out, your relationship with Jesus, life on this earth will be a lot more full of peace and hope. I hope that you'll journey with us through as we go through the Gospel of John. And if you can't do that, read it yourself. But if God has spoken to you, even now, I hope that you'll respond. And at this point, I'm going to say a prayer and hand all of this back over to the Dan back in Bremerton. Why don't we go ahead and pray right now. God, thank you so much for allowing us to meet together in this virtual way. It's such a a unique blessing that we're able to do such a thing today. Lord, I ask that you would help us as we strive to figure out how to finish well, how we can do our part in uh, pleasing you, Lord. Thank you so much for reaching down by means of the cross and showing us that you love us so much. We want to show you that we love you too, but we need your help. God, help us to make you the priority in our lives so that we can succeed here on earth and bring you glory and honor. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.